Welcome back to Hot Bread and Other Heresies. We're starting this episode with a poem I wrote a few years back. It's called Staff Announcements, A.D. 2015. Please advertise the upcoming grad school fair among your students. Flyers are available in the back. Each department is responsible for providing transportation for its students. The Employee Health Connections Fair will be this Thursday. Everyone is welcome to come and get their biometrics done. We encourage you to follow up on the results with your primary health care provider. Please keep in mind that the Pope's upcoming visit to America signals the end times and the coming persecution of Sabbath keepers. We encourage you to spend your Sundays going door-to-door spreading the Advent message as this will postpone the worst of the persecution. Supervisors, please remember to submit your workers' time cards this Friday. In 2010, my birth church elected a new world president. When I asked my father about this new president, he said, there are two ways new presidents can go. They can choose to emphasize the differences between our church and other churches, or they can choose to emphasize the similarities between our church and other churches. In the last nine years, this new president has unequivocally chosen the former path emphasizing what makes my birth church unique. In his inaugural address, he stated, Signs of Christ's coming are increasing in frequency and intensity every day. Destructive events in nature, the great confusion of world politics, the pervasive and compromising activities of ecumenism, the dramatic increase and influence of spiritualism, the deterioration of world economies, the disintegration of societal and family values, the disbelief in the absolute authority of God's word and the Ten Commandments, rampant crime and moral decay, wars and rumors of war, on and on, all point unmistakably to the climax of Earth's history and the Lord's return to take us on the final journey home to heaven. I believe this is where the kids would say, okay, boomer, I would never say that, of course. For one thing, I know plenty of kids my own age who wholeheartedly ascribe to this president's view of things. Later in his address, he says, we must be vigilant to test all things according to the supreme authority of God's word. Don't reach out to movements or megachurch centers outside of the church which promise you spiritual success based on faulty theology. Stay away from non-biblical spiritual disciplines or methods of spiritual formation that are rooted in mysticism, such as contemplative prayer, centering prayer, and the emerging church movement in which they are promoted. Occasionally, in my beloved new church, an unsuspecting Episcopalian will float the idea that perhaps a local church of my birth denomination would like to participate in an interdenominational event or movement. My response to that is usually, good luck. You see, my birth church has its own hospitals and nursing homes and social services centers, its own bookstores and universities and moving companies and disaster relief. It does not need interdenominational cooperation, nor does it appear to want it. The official church website puts it this way. The eschatological picture of God's church prior to the second coming 
is not one of a megachurch gathering all humankind together, but of a remnant of Christendom, those keeping the commandments of God and having the faith of Jesus. See Revelation 12.17. There is clearly a point at which unorthodoxy and unchristian lifestyle justify separation. Separation and division in order to protect and uphold that purity and integrity of the church and her message are more desirable than unity in worldliness and error. Have I mentioned that my birth church likes to refer to itself as a remnant? It bears repeating. They get this idea mostly from that Bible verse the church website mentioned, Revelation 12:17, which says, Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. They believe that God's commands include the fourth of the Ten Commandments, the one about keeping the Sabbath day holy, specifically the seventh day of the week, the same day hallowed in Judaism. They believe that the keeping of the seventh-day Sabbath will be one litmus test God uses to decide who God's truly faithful people are. If the Seventh-day Sabbath is important to you, if that's a hill you want to die on, I'm not going to try to dissuade you. For my money, I believe Jesus when he was asked, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus replied, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Matthew 22, 36-40 Going back to the official church statement, even after growing up in that church, I find myself rolling my eyes at the idea that the church has purity and integrity that must be protected from worldliness and error. There's a host of meanings in that word, worldliness. There's fear. There's a sense of moral superiority. There's also ignorance, if I can be blunt. After all, we can't learn about something without also opening up our minds, if only a little. That's dangerous. Understanding might lead to compassion, and compassion to compromise. We can't have compromise, no matter how upheld it is by science, on matters like geology or sexuality or interpreting the Bible. That is worldliness. Remember my poem at the beginning with the announcements at a staff meeting? That one in the middle about the Pope was real. I was not making it up. When I heard it, I went straight back to my office and turned the meeting's announcements into this poem. We'll be looking more at my birth church's relationship with Catholicism later on in episode 25 of this podcast. Suffice it to say for now that my birth church does not get along with the Catholics. It's continually trying to pick fights with the Catholic Church and spread rumors about the Pope. The Catholics, to their credit, probably usually don't even notice my birth church's disdain, in the same way that a horse probably won't notice when a gnat lands on his back. So interdenominational cooperation is out. Ecumenism is too filled with pervasive and compromising activities. All that remains is to remain apart to remain a remnant church. And my birth church, for its part, is quite happy to have that role. To what extent does that role come alongside a persecution complex? 
Stay tuned. We'll be coming to that on Hot Bread and Other Heresies. Mm.